Well, how are you guys doing this morning? All right, we are glad to be here. I'm excited uh, to be back. Um, if you haven't noticed, it's not raining in here, and uh, I'm not sweating, and I'm not freezing, and I get to see your faces, your wonderful, smiling faces throughout the whole message, right? Okay, all right, that's good, and uh, we don't have any obnoxious horn honking either, so... This is really a step up from what we've been doing for the last couple of months. But no, we're glad uh, to be here, glad to, we're not exactly back to normal, but we're getting there. Uh, just want to keep you guys informed. Uh, we are, we will be starting Grace Kids back up on June 21st, so that's two weeks from today. And so I know some of your parents are like, this is terrible. I get it. My kids are walking around over here, so um, don't feel bad. We understand it's, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, Kate, you might want to remove the middle child soon. Uh, but, uh, but no, we're glad to be here. On June 21st, we'll be opening up our Grace Kids. That'll be nursery through um, third grade. And then hopefully a few more weeks, uh, a few weeks later, we'll be able to do fourth and fifth grade. One of our issues is, it is really hard for us, uh, we're having a hard time finding volunteers, which is understandable. We understand that people out there don't necessarily feel comfortable yet, and so um, if that's you, you know, we, we totally get it, but if you haven't, if you're not at risk and um, you, you know, you're not sick and you work well with kids and that's something that you want to do, we could really use um, your help. So just throwing that out there, uh, Trina would really appreciate it. She's the one who, who runs our, our kid ministry. She's one of the ones who runs our kid ministry. So um, free shout out to her. But uh, I was thinking this past week that um, the last time I was up here on stage on a normal Sunday was, and I looked it up, was February 16th. Isn't that crazy? That's mine. Sorry. <laughs> She's dragging them out, all right? Feb February 16th. Isn't that crazy? That's so long ago. After that, because I, I, I had spent a couple weeks doing some schoolwork, and then we had time change, and half the church comes on time change, but they'll make it up again in November, so that's okay, I guess, because it's the bad time change. And then after that, we had all this COVID stuff, and it's just like, you know, it's been, it's been almost four months, for me at least, since I've been up here on stage kind of having a at least semi-normal Sunday. Now, a lot has happened in that four months. A ton has happened in the last four months. Actually, a ton has happened even just within the last, within the last two weeks. And for me, like, there's never been a time where our series is, like, matched actually exactly how I feel, but this does. All right, I am so sick of hearing the bad news. There's bad news, yeah, there's, there's bad news Everywhere, everywhere you look, it's, it's bad stuff. And so for me personally, I've, I've been trying to like switch some things up. I, I, I refuse to watch the news on TV. Now I'm, I'm, just, I'm just sick of it. And then, I, uh, then you got Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter. You got all those social media platforms. And I'm like, and I'm like trying to stay away from those. I actually deleted Facebook off my phone because it was just like everybody's just fighting with each other. It's so annoying. And, um, and then with the other apps, I like, I've like switched them. Like I switched the little... 
you know, icon on my phone because what I found out what I was doing is I would just automatically press it. Like my subconscious, my hand knew where it was and without even thinking, I would click that app and I'd be looking at stuff. And, and it's just like, and so I switched it. So I, now I'm clicking other apps on accident. And, and, but at least I know what I'm doing. I'm like caught myself. But so I'm trying to stay away from social media um, on, uh, you know, in, during the week when I'm going to get lunch or I'm driving in between campuses. One thing that I do is I listen to talk radio, just hearing what's going on. I've stopped doing that because it's all just bad news. And personally for me, and I don't know about you, maybe it's the same, probably not for everybody, but personally for me, it like brings me down, right? Like I'm not saying I'm, you know, clinically depressed, but it is depressing to hear all this bad stuff that's happening in the world around us. I, some things I hear, it makes me mad. Other things I hear, honestly, it makes me, it makes me sad. I hear what some people say, and I see what they do, and, I'm, and I see the hypocrisy in people, and it's just so crazy. And, and, and other people I see, they rush to judgment on, on people that aren't within their group. You know, and then I look at other people and I just see the bias in people and how you can't change their mind because they're, un, you know, unwilling to change either way. But we still argue with each other and we still bicker with each other. I mean, think about it. We live in a society where government can take our freedoms with just one press conference. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying that's what happens. But what is bad is when something like that happens, it's we, the people, right, we get together and, and we automatically turn on each other. Right, because some people fall right in line and say, "Well, yeah, you know, this is for safety, and so yeah, we should we should do it this way, and we should do this, and we should do that." Totally fine. But then there's other people who are like, "No, that's against our our rights, and and we have freedom that the Constitution gives us, and so you know, we should be doing that way." And and that's probably okay too. I don't know. I'm not here to debate, but it's just like we just start going at each other. That's the world. That's the society that we live in. We live in a society where we make judgment calls. And, uh, and it's all based off emotion. Okay, rarely are we looking at facts, or maybe we'll take one or two things that are true, and we make judgment calls based on that because it gets us going. We live in a society where churches are told to, to shut down, and if they don't shut down, then they don't love their people. But on the flip side, we have a society that tells us that we are allowed or even should um, kill tons of children every year. This past year, I looked it up, we have 42.4 million people, people, let me say that again, people in the world last year in 2019 that we killed on purpose. All right, in the United States, that's one every 90 seconds. So by the time I'm done, that would be like 27 more statistically. And I get that people are all over the spectrum here. And I get that, that we belong to a political party that it's like, well, this is what my party believes because that's what we do. We belong to a political party, one or the other. It doesn't really matter. And, um, and in whatever that party tells us or whatever platform that party is in, that's what we believe. And we don't want to change our minds. We're not even willing to even listen to the other side. And even with that issue specifically, it's become so political that it becomes something that we don't even want to talk about because we just don't want to get into another fight. I mean, we live in a society where the national news is constantly lying to us. I mean, we don't necessarily care about the local news, which is usually good stuff. Hey, this is happening here in Seneca County. This is happening here in Tiffin. We don't care about that. We care about the national news, things that are happening in reality far in faraway places. 
We live in a society where we have all these opinions that are based on what the national news, both sides, decides to tell us. And we got to understand that there's, a few, you know, there's the elite people in the, in the United States, that there's a, a few elite people who are deciding what we hear and deciding what information we received. We live in a society where a few bad police officers kill a man in front of people while they're videoing it, right? It doesn't necessarily, I mean, part of it, it does matter whether they meant to or not. It, it, sure, it does matter, right? That's a big difference, but it's all bad news. It still happened. We live in a society where we justify riots and violence and, and theft, and, and for sometimes we say, oh, it's okay. This time it's okay. We live in a society where we are constantly segregating ourselves into groups. We segregate ourselves into race, which is at the forefront right now. But I feel like, and I may be wrong, I'm not saying I'm right, I'm just saying this is what I feel like, uh, that I feel like we segregate ourselves by class probably the most out of anything. People that look like us, not just skin color, but, but, but dress like us, that live like us, we, we segregate ourselves by lifestyle. That's not right. We segregate ourselves by age. I mean, think about it. How many, you know, we place ourselves into age groups. How many younger people do we know that look at older people and say, Psh, they don't know anything. They're out of touch with reality. The world has changed so much then they don't even understand. But on the flip side, how many older people do we know that look at, that disrespect younger people saying, well, they're young, they're dumb, they're, you know, they, they're immature, they don't know anything yet, they have no experience. Right? And, and what we do is we place ourselves into a group that we come up with, okay? We place ourselves into a group, and then we place every other, everybody else into a group, whether we know them or not, for some reason, for us, I don't understand this, we, it doesn't matter, but we place these other people into groups, and then what we do is we judge those groups, and we don't like those other groups. And then when something bad happens in our life, you know what we do? We blame those other groups, it's not right. Because we live in a society where it's always somebody else's fault. We don't take ownership for what we've done. It's always somebody else's fault. And this, by the way, that's it. I'm, I'm done talking about it because I'm so, ugh, it gets me mad. Okay. But that's what we see day in and day out. We see this every day. We go into work, this is what we see. I mean, we, we, we turn on the TV, this is what we see. Everything is so negative, and our culture justifies it, and our culture is constantly slapping it into, really, our, our face. And so, but we as Christians, we are not supposed to be focused on the bad news. It's not supposed to be our focus. Right? Sometimes we need to be reminded of the immense, vast good news that God has given to us, that he has told us. And that is the main one by far, which is something we can't even fully comprehend, is that Jesus came, he lived on this earth to show us the way to him, and then he died for us. Actually, 
when he was here on earth one night. This is an interesting story. This is what I want to talk about today. There was this guy. He was a religious ruler. Okay, he was elite class, and uh, and he you know he was rich. He had he had money. He was very influential in society. And he actually goes at night, because, probably because he didn't want any of his friends or any of his buddies to see that he was going to talk to Jesus. He goes knocks on the door and he wants to ask Jesus a few questions. And we see this actually in John chapter three. And it's interesting because what this guy, his name is Nicodemus. What Nicodemus was wrestling with was actually the same thing that so many of us wrestle with, right? He has been entrenched throughout his entire life with rule following, just like a lot of us in here. And we're entrenched throughout our entire life with rule following following in order to earn love and acceptance from others, especially God. And so this guy goes to Jesus one night, and he's asking Jesus the same question that many of us in here have asked. And his basic question is, is, is he says, hey, hey, when is good good enough? Like, when's good good enough? How good do I have to be? Or, or, or how does this work? And you know what Jesus says? It's super interesting. He says, you will never be good enough. Now, our society doesn't tell us that. That's not what we hear in our culture because right, we actually hear that our culture tells us the opposite. Culture says, no, 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 you're, you're good enough. No, the way that you are is the way that you are. Hey, you shouldn't change for anybody. All right, if they can't accept you, that's on them. All right, you are good. You are right. You, you, your whole goal in life, this is what society tells us, our whole goal in life is just to make us, is, is to make us happy. But Jesus says the opposite. He says, hey, you will never be good enough. And then Jesus says something kind of weird. He says, actually, you have to be born again. He says, it's not by following more rules. You don't get right with God by having a new fear. You get right with God by being born again. Now, when Nicodemus hears this, he he does probably what every single one of us would do in that situation. He's just like, huh? Born what? Okay, this is actually what he says. He says, uh, all right, um, how can anyone be born when he is old? Good question. That's a good question, okay? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Also a good question. Nicodemus, he's like, what are you saying? Did, you just, did I just hear that right? He's confused. He's saying, are you saying I gotta, we got to be reborn? I don't like the sound of that, okay? That's not, uh, that's not good news, All right? And so Jesus corrects him, and he says, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you have to be reborn spiritually, and even now, even then, Jesus, he, or Nicodemus, he doesn't get it in verse 9. He's just like, uh, how can these things be? He's just like, what? Like, how can this be? How can this happen? What, what exactly are you trying to say? And then Jesus calls him out, which is so interesting. He says, Jesus says to Nicodemus, he's like, uh, hey, hey, aren't you a teacher of Israel? And you don't know these things? See, one thing you got to understand about Nicodemus is he's a Pharisee. Now, that might not mean anything to you, and you, maybe you're like, uh, I think I've heard that before in church, but I don't know, what's that again? A Pharisee is just a, it's almost like a political party back then um, that, that people belong to, and, 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 but it had to do a lot with religion. So it was like Pharisee, Sadducee, you got all these, all these different, you know, you got all these different parties back then. 
And, um, and, but the Pharisees, these guys, I mean, these guys are the, real, the upper class. I mean, these guys are religious rulers. And literally, Nicodemus' job is to teach the nation of Israel, teach the people how to be right with God. Right? Like, that's his, that's his job. It's almost like he's a pastor. Like, I'm a pastor. It's very similar roles. I'm a pastor here in Tiffin, Ohio for this small church. And Nicodemus, on the flip side, he's like pastor of an entire nation, of an entire race of people. Okay? So big, big deal. And, uh, and what Jesus is pointing and what he's kind of pushing back here, he's just saying, hey, it's like, isn't it like your job to know the, the answer to this question? How to be right in God's eyes? See, Nicodemus, he has spent his entire life studying the Bible. He spent his whole life doing it. We talked about this, uh, we talked about Pharisees a few weeks ago because Paul was also one. And, uh, and Nicodemus, he had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized, word for word. I don't even know how that's possible, right? But this, again, it's hard enough for some of us to get through those books, like read through it. He had them memorized word for word. God, back in the day, he had given the Israelites um, those first five books. And in those first five books, we have the law. And the law was 613 commandments uh, given to the Israelites to basically kind of keep them separate from all, these, uh, other, all the other nations, the pagan nations around them, to keep their focus on God, and, which they failed at miserably. And, uh, and so this guy had 600, the, all these 613 commandments memorized. Actually, the Pharisees were crazy because they had rules so that you wouldn't even come close to breaking the rules, all right? These guys were hardcore rule followers. They had, they, this guy, Nicodemus, he had, he had more Bible knowledge than if we all pooled our Bible knowledge together. This guy has more. See, one thing that Jesus is pointing out here is that it is absolutely possible to know your Bible and to not know God. It is absolutely possible to know your Bible and to not know God, to know the Word of God, but to never truly encounter the God of the Word, right? To be sincere about who God is and to sincerely do what God wants you to do, but be sincerely wrong when it comes to the central message of the Bible. And that, by the way, is the scariest place to be. That is the worst place to be. That is the scariest place to be, to be convinced that you're good and to be convinced that you're saved only to find out at the end of your life that that's not the way it works. That that's not what saves you. And the sad part is, there's many people within the church today that believe this. I wish it was the truth. There's a bunch of people in this room that this is how you live your life. Jesus, he actually... He actually goes on here, and I'll get to that in a second. But next verse, he says, Truly I tell you that we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. He says, If I told you about the earthly things and you don't believe, how, you believe, how, how will you believe if I tell you about the heavenly things? Jesus, he's bringing up a good point. He's saying, Hey, Nicodemus, you don't, you don't, you don't understand. There is so much more that I long to tell you about my kingdom. There's so much more that's going to happen in the future. There's so much that has happened in the past. I want to show you who I am, such awesome stuff. But Nicodemus, your problem is you're still back at Salvation 101. Because you still believe that your entrance into that kingdom is going to come by your own works. Now, for me, 
I, uh, as, as a pastor here in, in Tiffin, I talk to people all the time, and most of the people are people in our, here in our church family, sitting in this room. And, um, and probably about 85% of the time, most of the time, I'm, I'm talking to people, and I, I straight up ask, you know, I'm like, so where are you at with God? You know, usually it's kind of what we're talking about anyway. So where are you at with God? How do you know you have a relationship with God? You know, if you were to die, you know, would you go to heaven? And probably 85% of the time, they answer how Nicodemus would answer. They say, oh, well, you know, well, I'm a good person. I try to do what God wants me to do. And, and you know, I read the Bible. I go to church and, and I give and, and I was baptized. I, and, you know, I've done that. Check that off the list. And, and we, they go through all this stuff that they've done. Like, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm trying to live a good life. It's basically the general answer from almost everybody that asks. And that is so wrong. That is completely opposite of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus, he actually points this out with Nicodemus in, in the next verse, verse 13. He says, no one, Nicodemus, you don't get it. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven. He's talking about himself. He says, the son of man. He's saying, you can't climb your way up. You can't ascend. You can't climb. You can't climb your way up. You can't do enough good by the way, the good that Nicodemus was looking for, was looking at, was actually the same, the same good that we look at. I mean, is, we are exactly the same. I mean, he's looking at his achievements. He's looking at all the good stuff that he's done. He's looking at, he's looking at uh, academics. Right? He's looking at his position in society. He's looking at all the good stuff that he's done, how he's helped people here and how he's helped people there. Hey, he's, looking at his, he's looking at his good works. He's looking at his character because he's got, you know, upright character. He's looking at his moralism. He's looking at his belief that Jesus existed. I mean, we see actually at the beginning of the story that I didn't go through um, in, in John ch- chapter 3, verse, in verse 2, um, th- it introduces this way. It says, this man came to him at night, he's talking about Nicodemus, and said, Rabbi, Basically, teacher, it's a sign of respect. He says, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs that you do unless God were within him. So here, Nicodemus, he's, he's trusting in his, his belief in Jesus. He knows that Jesus is there, and he totally believes, he's totally in to the fact that Jesus was from God, but he doesn't believe that Jesus was God. Maybe to you, maybe that doesn't sound like a big difference, but that is everything. That's everything. He's saying, you can't climb your way up. And so that's why I had to come down. He's saying, no man can ascend up. And so actually, I had to descend. He said, you can't climb your way up. So that's why I had to come down. And then Jesus gives uh, Nicodemus a quick illustration that Nicodemus knew all too well. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, how many of you guys remember that story? The snake in the wilderness thing. It's a weird story. It's weird. All right? It happens when, uh, when uh, and by the way, Nicodemus has this story memorized, remember? He's probably taught him this story, you know, a million times to, to people. But that's after God pulls the Israelites out of Egypt. They've been slaves there for over 400 years at this point. And Moses is leading, and they're, they're 
wandering around the desert. By the way, uh, God doesn't just take them to this land that he promised them. God makes them do like some zigzags, which would be kind of annoying, I guess, to be there. And there's like two million of these people, and they're all kind of doing it, but that's the way God wanted to. And, um, And you know what these people start doing? They get impatient, which I totally understand. And then they start complaining. We just talked about complaining a few weeks ago at the drive-in. Starts complaining, and God hates complaining. They start start complaining about um, the food that God gives them. They start complaining about the water that God gives them. They they start saying things like, oh, why did you bring us out here just to die? Why did God just bring us out here to die? We should, should, you know, we're so bored. We should go back to to Egypt and become slaves again because because life was better when when we didn't have our freedom. They start complaining about their freedom that God gave them. They start complaining about everything, and God, God gets ticked, all right? And so he sends, uh, or sends or allows, a bunch of snakes, poisonous snakes, to come into their camp. Again, this is like two million people. By the way, you know God's mad when he sends snakes, all right? Those are the worst. All right, so all these poisonous snakes, they're biting people, and, and, uh, and people are dying all over the place, and it's not a good situation. And so the people of Israel, they come to Moses, they're like, oh, we have done so much wrong. You know, we totally get, we're, you know, we're complaining against God, like God, the creator, God that they've seen in a pillar of fire, God who parted the Red Sea, that all this stuff that they had experienced is crazy. And, uh, and then they're complaining against that God, like they've seen his power. And they're like, we, I can't believe we've done this. You know, Moses, please, please pray to God that he would take away these snakes and then that, we, you know, we're sorry. So Moses goes and he prays to God and, and God doesn't take away the snakes. Have you ever noticed that? It's super weird. He doesn't take it away. But what he does do is he gives them a way out. He says, this is what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to go form this bronze snake, right? And I want you to put it on a pole and I want you to go walk through the camp. And anybody who's bitten by this poisonous snakes, by one of the snakes, he's saying, um, all they have to do is look up at that bronze snake, that sign or whatever, and they will recover. And so that's what they do. And so what Jesus is doing here, it's so cool. What Jesus is doing here is he is reaching into Nicodemus's world. Again, this is something Nicodemus had memorized that he knew so well. He's reaching out to Nicodemus right before he says one of the famous verses, the most famous verse in the entire Bible, right before he like just unloads truth on him. So Nicodemus is, is listening. He's like, just like that snake had to be raised up and people had to look to him, look, him. people had to look to it uh, to be saved from death. He's like, actually, the son of man, he's talking about himself, will actually be also likewise nailed to a piece of wood. That'll be lifted up. People are going to have to look to him to get saved spiritually. And right after he does this, right after he reaches out to Nicodemus, kind of reaches into his world, he says, for God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world yet, but to save the world through him. See, we as Christians, we hear this verse all the time and it bounces off, right? I mean, we know the verse. We probably, maybe, over, you know, most of the people in this room, we have this verse memorized, and, uh, but we don't recognize what Jesus is saying here. 
because we've heard it too many times. We hear it all the time. You go to a, a football game and you, someone's got a sign somewhere that has John 3.16 on it. You know, players put it on their, you know, it's all over the place. We're surrounded by it. You ever get used to something where you just don't notice it anymore? I mean, this happens to us. We just get used to it. I, uh, in my office in Fremont that I've had for over 10 years, um, I've had this picture. Someone made this and gave it to me. This picture of me in high school with my good buddy, Jeff Walter, who actually used to work for our church but doesn't anymore. Um, but I had this giant picture sitting on a, uh, on a shelf behind me for the last decade, okay? Actually, I could kind of shine it in your guys' eyes. Sorry about that. Um, I could see it. <laughs> okay. So I got this big picture. All right? I don't notice this anymore. I don't notice it. It's huge and it's obnoxious. And the more I look at it, I'm like, oh, what am I doing? You know? Actually, people, they'll say, you guys look like dumb and dumber. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we kind of do. So anyway, so this has been up. I don't notice this anymore, but sometimes what I'll do is I'll have an important meeting in my office, and this is behind me, and what I'll notice is that people will be sitting there on the couch, and they're not looking at me. They're looking up at this picture, and I'm like, oh, oh, that's there. I forgot about that. But think about it. I've seen this picture maybe every day that I've worked in my office for the last, you know, over a decade. I've seen it, but I haven't, like, seen it. You get what I'm saying? I haven't noticed it. I never think about it. I probably only think about this picture like 10 times, like once a year, the last 10 years. And sometimes it takes a new fresh, of eye, you know, fresh set of eyes. They come in, they're in there the first time, and they're like, why do you have this horrible, stupid-looking picture of you? They don't say it. This is just what they're thinking. I can see it. You know, they're just like, why do you have that? Actually, it's interesting. I was looking at that, and I'm like, my hair's the same because I got COVID hair, and I am getting a haircut tomorrow. And so if you're thinking about that and wondering, just let you know, you know, sorry. But it's as soon as I could get it. But anyway, but sometimes it takes a, a fresh set of eyes to see something. And, and, and because, because that's how we are with this verse. We know it's there. We know, we know the verse is there. We've, we have it memorized. We, we know what it looks like. We just don't look at it. It's almost like we become numb to it. And sometimes we just need... A fresh look. So let me reread John 3.16. And think about this as if you're seeing it or hearing it for this first time. And remember, this is right after Jesus reaches into Nicodemus's world. He relates himself to, to, to people are going to have to look towards him to be saved. And he says, Nicodemus, for God loved. Think about that for a second. For God Nicodemus has been talking about his entire life, teaching about his entire life. For that God, he loved the world in this way. How did he do it? That he gave, he gave. He handed over, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who just believes in him, they don't have to perish. They don't have to go to hell. They don't have to pay for everything, all the, you know, everything they've ever done wrong. They don't have to perish, but instead they can have eternal life. 
See, we in our society have been taught and trained on what love is. I mean, what, where, where do we get the idea of what love is? I mean, we look at TV shows, we got movies, you know, half, most of the songs out there, it's all about love. That's how we learn about love. And by the way, society's definition of love is shallow, it's hollow, and it's empty. And interestingly, it looks down on the biblical view of love. See, the biblical view of love, the love that Jesus is talking about here, that is basically this, is saying, hey, I see the ugly side of you, but I'm staying. I see the darkness in your heart, but I'm saying, I'm, I see the mess. I see all the things that are wrong with you, but I'm saying. Now, society tells us something completely different. You know what society says? Society says, that's unhealthy, That's not love. That's unhealthy for you to stay in that relationship. That's unhealthy for you to have that type of love. See, one problem that we all have is, and and, you know, I don't, there's not really any way to fix this, but we don't even have, you know, the language for love in our English language, right? You know how I know? Because you love vacation, you love your dog, and you love fajitas, okay? Like we all do. All right, let's be honest with ourselves. Right, we can't just even describe the type of love that God has for us because we don't physically have, have the word for it. But even if we did have some special word to describe it, we can't fathom the love that God has for us. I remember I heard this illustration once, and it might be, it might be getting a little corny, um, but stick with me, all right? Um, I heard this, and to me it relates so good. It's basically, pretend like you're a judge in Seneca County. Now, if you're Judge Chef, I know you're in here. I saw you at one point, but uh, you don't have to imagine very hard because that's what you are. But for all the rest of us, all right, imagine you're a judge here in Seneca County. And then imagine you have one son, all right? You don't have any other kids, one son. That'd be so much easier, all right? But anyway, <laughs> that's why two of my kids are out there and my one son is here. Well, the oldest, never mind. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. So imagine you have one son, and then you guys go to bed at night, and someone breaks into your house. While you're sleeping, they go into your son's room, and they torture, and they mutilate, and they beat your son the entire night. You don't know. And then when morning comes, they just go ahead and murder him. They leave. You wake up. You find the mess. Well, then eventually they get caught. And they go through the system, and I know some of you guys won't be able to get past this because you're like, that's impossible, that would never happen. I know, okay? But let's say something happened. They go through the system, and for some, other, you know, for some reason, they, they get stuck in your courtroom. And you're the one who has to decide. Number one, you can decide whether they deserve life in prison forever, which is true. That's what they deserve. That is a just punishment for what they did. We all, hopefully, everybody in here, we would all agree with that. Or... You can let them go for free. But let's say you couldn't just let them go for free. Actually, instead, the government or whoever said, well, you can let them go for free only if you adopt them. So you can send them to prison for a lifetime or you could adopt them, meaning you have to give them your name. They have to live in your house. They have your son's room. Basically, your son's stuff becomes their stuff. Now, if we were to choose to adopt them, what would society do? 
I mean, they would cry out with everything and say, that is not just, and even more than that, and part of that is kind of right, but they would say, that is not right. That is not love. That's not love. You didn't really love your son. Not if you're adopting them. That, that's not love. That's not how it works. Not only did you forgive them, but you adopted them. See, that is exactly what God did for us. And there is no term to define that type of love. Like, like I, you know, I don't know how else to say it, but he loves you. Like he really, really, really loves you. And it's not because you're a good person. It's not because you did, you know, a certain amount of good works and you've done more good than bad, so you're good. That's not how it works. He loves you really for no reason because that's who he is. And he paid the price for your sin, everything that you've ever done wrong, by the way, something that was impossible for you to pay. And so you go back to Nicodemus's basic question of, hey, you know, Jesus, how good is good enough? How good do I have to be? And, and Jesus is just like, you will never be good enough. But the real question is, how do you get to heaven? How do, you, how do you become right with God? That's what he's wanting to know. That's the base of the question. Actually, Jesus, he answers that seven times in this conversation. He says, you got to believe. Now, what does that mean? Believe, right? This isn't intellectual belief like, oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus was real. Like, by the way, Nicodemus was at this point in his life. See, so many of us, so many of us, we, we believe in Jesus like we believe in JFK, right? He was a, a historic figure who did some cool stuff and died early. That's how we believe in Jesus. See, the belief that Jesus is talking here, talking about here, is he's saying, hey, you have to believe that Jesus is the only, only, keyword. you have to believe that Jesus is the only way to God. The only way. It's not some other belief. It's not some other religion. It's not what society tells us, which we all know what society tells us, that, oh, well, yeah, they're all basically the same. It's just different paths to the same God. No. He's saying you have to believe that Jesus is the only way to God. You have to believe that he is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did. And that belief, it leads to a seriousness about growing with God. It leads, to a, it leads to a seriousness of sin. If there's no seriousness in your life about trying to remove sin from your life, or if there's no seriousness in your life about trying to grow in your relationship with God, and you're like, well, you know, I, sure, I want to, but, you know, it's, it, it doesn't, it's not really one of your priorities, I'll just tell you right now, it's not real belief. You got the intellectual belief down, but you don't have the eternal life belief down. You believe in the historical figure of Jesus. So what we need to understand is that you at your best, me at my best, will never be adequate enough to cancel my debt. See, God didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. He came while we were at our worst. And guys, church, man, that's some good news. That is like really, really good news. 
See, one of my biggest fears as a, as a pastor here is that, and, and I know this is true, and I wish it wasn't true, but, uh, you know, I, just statistically, it has to be true. And my fear is that there's people in this room that you're sitting here, right, and, and you're listening, and you see what Jesus, you know, has to say, and, and you're gaining more Bible knowledge, which is good, I guess. But then you're going to go home this afternoon, you're going to get distracted by all the bad news that the world is constantly trying to throw in our face, And you can begin to put your trust in the things that you do, not what Jesus did. See, that's how it works. See, we don't do good things. We don't try to earn our way up. We can't, it's impossible, like what Jesus is saying, to climb our way up to heaven. It just doesn't work. It's we got to give our lives over to him. And I know that there's people in this room, you've never done that before. Now I would encourage you to do that today, like take Five minutes, right, out of your day and just have a personal conversation with God. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you only do that when you need help and you're like, oh, God, please fix this mess in my life. I'm saying have a personal conversation with God where it's just you and God. You don't even have to talk out loud because God knows your every thought. But it's a conscious decision where you literally give your life over to him. Not that you'll be perfect. That's, I wish it worked that way, but it doesn't. But you got to make a conscious decision of saying, hey, God, I want that relationship with you, but I know that all the good stuff in my life, that's not how it goes because I can never be good enough. But I can have that relationship with you because of what you did. And because of what Jesus did and when we hand our life over to him, something changes in us where we want to do good. We want to do right because of what God has done for us, not the other way around. So if you haven't done that, I would strongly encourage you, beg you, to do that today. Do it on the drive home. There's no better day to do that for you than right now. Too many of us, we just keep pushing it off, trying to work our way to do, do as much good as possible so that maybe God will accept us and missing it all. Let's pray. God, we thank you for caring about us. God, we didn't do anything. You don't care about us because, because we're good people, because we're not. It's like every inclination of our heart is evil. But God, you still came down and you died for us. And you paid for everything that we've ever done, you took care of. And now we each have a choice in our life to say, hey, we wanna, if we want to follow you, you will give us that free gift that, that we get to have that personal relationship with you. And we, gotta, we get to live with you for eternity, which is sweet. God, if there's anybody in this room who haven't done that yet, we ask you that you'd help them, convince them, to start that relationship with you today because there's no better day and there's no bigger, more important decision than that. And God, we thank you for the love that we can't even begin to understand that you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.